Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is the beef. This is the beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is the Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of The Beef. I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. Joining me in the studio today, I have the founder of HTX Hope Haven, Kristen. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You know, 501c3s, nonprofits, y'all are someone that holds kind of a special place in our heart. We like to do anything we can to support y'all because every single one of them has a mission they stand behind. And uh, what better mission than being out there in the field, helping other people, whether it's helping them with mental health or anything else like the other nonprofits we've had on. It's always a great thing to help other people, plain and simple. And y'all help the homeless. So I think it's such a great thing because everybody wants to help the homeless. And, you know, um, just because we're down at the bottom of our life doesn't mean that we don't deserve that hope. So I'm excited to have y'all on and, and get into it. But before we do, as you know, because you snuck a peek before we ever even launched this thing and listened to a couple of episodes, we always start off with an icebreaker question. So I got to ask you, what's the most embarrassing music that you like to listen to? I am cracking up that you're asking that question. <laughs> so I was just driving right over here in the convertible and I'm playing the music that I like to play before I get up and talk to a group. I don't want to overthink what I'm going to say. So I have a few power songs I play. And as I was on Main Street in Tomball, I started turning the radio down because I thought I was so embarrassed if somebody hears me playing this. So it was Rachel Platten's fight song. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then it was, this one's really embarrassing. Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA. Yes. <laughs> That's great. And then the other one's Lauren Daigle's Trust in Me. I've got two that'll probably trump you on that. But I got to tell you, Fight Song is definitely my seven-year-old's, my daughter's favorite song. She just screams at the top of her lungs. And yeah, those are, I mean, those are solid selections for embarrassing music that gets you pumped up. Miley Cyrus, I mean, you can't hate on on some of those songs embarrassingly enough, I will say that I've jammed some Miley Cyrus in my life, but like you, so, you know, I drive a Jeep and, uh, sometimes I have the top off. Most of the time I'll have at least the windows down. I got two 15 inch subwoofers in the back, kicker comps, just obnoxiously loud sound system. And sometimes I'll be jamming something and then I look around and I'm like, Hmm, if someone I know sees me or hears this, I'm going to be really embarrassed. Let me just go ahead and change this song. My two, definitely Justin Bieber, love yourself. We're just driving down Main Street in Tomball, Texas, and I'm just jamming this song. I'm like, man, I love this beat. I love this. I love everything about this. Like, who is this? And my wife turned around and she just started laughing. She's like, it's Justin Bieber. And I just, I felt shame, regret, remorse, you know? I mean, but I'll give credit where credit's due. Everything he did before that, I absolutely hated. And then it was like that album, he had a couple of songs. I was like, okay. I see Justin Bieber now. This isn't bad. And then the one that I will just never live down, especially when my friends and family hear this, is Taylor Swift. What is the name of the song? See, you always do that. You blank out right when you need to come up with it. Calm down, I think. You need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
I don't know why. Well, at least you can have a seven-year-old in the back seat. I and mean, then blame it on her. And blame it on her. It was just one person in the car who's not seven. I retract all that I said on this podcast. <laughs> I don't listen to that music. My daughter does. I do it for her. That's there what you it go. is. So You've nobody can make excuse. fun of me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it. But before we get too far into this, I have to take a second and talk about our partner in this podcast. Uh, they're our awesome sponsor that helps us out tremendously, Community Bank of Texas. They know, especially now, the experience and availability of your banking partner is crucial. Community Bank of Texas is here to help your business. Their bankers have been working diligently to give clients the support that they need during these challenging economic times. As a business owner, a lot of things keep us up at night, but our bank should not be one of them. When you bank with Community Bank of Texas, you have the freedom to focus on your business commitments instead of worrying about the commitment of your banker. They're proudly committed to partnering with you and your business through it all. The short-term hurdles, long-term growth, and countless new directions. Because at Community Bank of Texas, they simply deliver a better banking experience. They're a foundation that you can build your business on for decades to come. Community Bank of Texas, business banking, better banking, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. But Kristen, let's get into the reason we're here. HTX, Hope Haven, and Kristen, who are you? Where did you come from? What do you do there and why? Wow, um, that's a big question. I know. I always start off with a huge question. <laughs> well, so um, I grew up in a small town in Southeast Texas. If you could say that strong-willed child, that was probably me. <laughs> it was me. We'll use the word tenacious, right? I was that really hard to rein in child, loved math and science. And my daddy was a chemical engineer and I had a Sunday school teacher that was a chemical engineer. So I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. And I always have been driven to have lots of activities and lots of things going on. And I would tell you, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's kind of where I come from. We moved to Houston, goodness, I guess about 2004. And I had been working in the chemical plant for years and started my own computer consulting company and was running that when we moved to Houston and just living the great life with two little kids and life was good. So from there, I got to the point where in a computer business that you're on call 24-7, I owned the company. And so if there was ever anything that went wrong, then I had to be on call and I had to be either present and all my work was virtual. And so I got to the point one day we were at Universal Studios in Orlando and I got a call from a client and my tech on site could not fix their problem. And I am at the theme park with a two-year-old and a 10-year-old and I've got to go get a cab, get home, get back to the hotel and go fix these computer problems. And that was when one of those turning points in your life when you decide, you know what, I don't want to be attached. This is going to date me, to a pager. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> to a pager, a cell phone, and a laptop for the rest of my life. And so I wanted we'll balance. take a moment for our young listeners and just say, kids, a pager is a device that we used to have back in the day before cell phones. Man, I remember those. I used to have a clear one and I thought I was just the coolest thing ever. Somebody could just page you up and you can call them and see what was up. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just no, had to. Man, great. pagers. Well, remember when you got the ability to text to a pager oh, and yes. you had that and you had the little app on your computer, you could actually send a message. So yeah. that was our first text messaging. We still use it today, but before the actual text messaging was a thing, my mom would page my dad 221. And that was just a reminder to him, hey, I love you. That was it. And so we still, my family, if you look at our social media, our text messages to each other all the time, if you tell my three-year-old, I love you, he'll say, I love you, two, two, one. And it's just kind of a thing we pass down. So there's pager stuff in this younger generation. They just don't know it in my family. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and then you hated it when your pager fell in the toilet. Ah, uh, and it was done. Or the pool, because I was an 11-year-old with a pager that I found on the side of the road, and it worked, and I just thought I was cool, so. <laughs> you were cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So anyway, so I kind of here in Houston, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I, I was at that point in life where I needed to grow the business. We needed to become brick and mortar or I needed to sell the business off. And, you know, it's really funny now to think about it, but we were grossing around half a million dollars. And so I sold off the business because I didn't want the responsibility of a brick and mortar and employees and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's very funny where I ended up today right. <laughs> doing all those things I was afraid to do. And I had money coming in back then. So when we started Hope Haven, there was nothing. We started with nothing, just a little bit of money in the bank and a husband that was willing to let me try something crazy. Anyway, somewhere in there, I did a little Mary Kay business just to be at home with my kids when they were little and still have something. I wasn't a real good stay-at-home mom, so I had to have something. And so I did a Mary Kay business, and in that, I learned how to run a volunteer army. I learned how to speak in public. I learned all these leadership skills that as an executive director of a nonprofit, I use them every single day. And so it just turned into about a 12-year journey of just leadership growth and building and what happened is I started driving around, you know, schlepping some lipstick around and saw that there were a bunch of homeless people on our side of town because now I'm out and about, I'm seeing people and there's people on every corner holding up a sign. And it sent me to that place. I moved up in the company really quick and worked, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week, had extra time. So I started feeding those homeless people. And when I did, I started getting to know them and started having a heart. I was praying at the time. I said, praying, you know, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And it was homeless people. <laughs> and I thought, what in the world is one person supposed to do about this? And so we kind of got into, because of some roundabout things, started feeding at Thanksgiving. And my parents, we had a Hurricane Rita and Katrina. And they did not want to come in because they had been with us for two and a half months. And they just got to go home. They got back into their homes. And so they weren't coming back for Thanksgiving. So we thought, well, we can feed, you know, Thanksgiving. We had done it in Odessa, Texas. We'll feed Thanksgiving here in Houston. And so we just picked up 50 plates of food and started handing them out on the streets. And very interesting. We did this a few years in a row, just different reasons. My grandparents had passed away. My mom didn't want to get together. And so we did it again. We went to Galveston after Hurricane Ike. And then one day I was out doing this Thanksgiving feeding. We call them drive-by feedings now. And I handed a man a plate of food and he turned around and he said, God bless you. And I got in the car and I started crying. And my husband's like, what did he say? Was he mean? Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes they can be mean. And I said, he said, God bless you. And he said, well, what's wrong with that? And I said, well, I fed that man in this spot two years ago and I don't even know his name. Like, am I really doing anybody any good? Right. <laughs> I'm not changing anything in this man's life. I don't know his name. So that sent us on this journey of saving some money, trying to figure out how do you actually help people? And it turned out, you know, through a whole bunch of crazy circumstances, we met four families that had the same heart to feed the people on 249. And we didn't go to church together. We didn't know each other. And God put us all together. So we started, I went out and fed with them. I think it was November the 10th of 2010. And we fed that day a home-cooked meal. And then when I got home, I was like, okay. I emailed them and I said, look, I've got some money. <laughs> I want to do this. Do you guys want to do this for real? And they had already made a decision. They wanted to start a group. And so we started a group called 249 and Hope. And that's kind of where it all got started. And then we accidentally started getting people off the streets in about a month. And wow. so it was crazy. But anyway, that's the background. That's how we got started. And like I say, that was some 2010. And so in that five-year time period we were doing that, we had gotten over 70 people off the street. And today I can tell you 45 of those are still off the street. 
And so that's when friends started coming and saying, and pastors were like, wait a minute, what you're doing is working. You don't think like other people. How are you going to honor God with this gift that you've been given? And I was like, I'm going to keep working my job that I'm happy with. (laughs) I'm not going to jump off and do that, but I will write a business plan. So I wrote up a business plan because I knew how to do that and took it to a a businessman. And he said, Kristen, I think this is from God and I think I'll help you do this. And so that was kind of where we got started. Yeah. And so here's what I love about your story, you know, because like a lot of our guests and not all of them, but like a lot of our guests, I've had the opportunity to meet prior with you and talk to you a little bit about exactly what y'all do. And I think you hit it on the head earlier when you said just a few statements ago, I fed him. And two years later, I fed him in the same spot. I've changed nothing in his life. So I know that y'all are not a potluck. Y'all are not a meal center. Y'all are not that come here, grab some food, sit in a warm place or a cool place, and then go on back out and be homeless for the next two years. I know what y'all do is different. So if you could just tell our listeners why you're different and why we should support a nonprofit with this business model versus just you know getting plates, because I'm not knocking getting plates on Thanksgiving, on Christmas, anytime that you want to drop off food to the homeless, that is great but we're not offering them any type of change in their current situation. We're just helping them be less miserable. That's it. So tell us all about what y'all do. Well, and I'm like you, I believe that feeding is good. I think that the Bible says, you know, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me, right? You fed me when I was hungry, all that. And so I believe that that is a calling that we are to do. That feeding ministry actually grew from four families to four churches. Today, it's 13 different organizations that go out every Saturday and feed a home-cooked meal. So I do believe in a home-cooked meal. 100%. But I don't believe in making them comfortable out there. Because in my Bible, it says that God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. So in my optimistic mind, I believe that nobody's supposed to be there. And so if I make you comfortable there and give you all the resources you need to stay there, then I'm not helping you. So that was kind of this model behind what we do. And we tend to say, you know, that, and it's that old adage too: feed a man a fish or teach a man a fish. Why do you feed a man a fish? Because it's easy, right? It's easy just to go throw a meal, say, God bless you and go on your way. But the work we do at Hope Haven, we love to say it's messy work and it is messy and it is hard and it is heart work, right? But so what we do is we have those groups that go out on Saturdays and feed a meal. My team will hand out, you know, whatever we've been donated. <laughs> like one time we were handing out peanut butter, baby wipes, and bug spray because <laughs> that's what we got. <laughs> and so, and they could use all three. And so that is food, but it's not sustainable food. It's not something that's going to keep someone going. I don't like giving them three meals a day, five, six, seven days a week, but because I want them to want more for their life than living in the woods. So what we do is we hand them a package. We go out and we have our outreach program and we just build relationship. I mean, it's all about the relationship. They don't trust a lot of people. And so I was just talking to the team today. You know, we build relationship by never lying to them, doing what we say we're going to do, right? And then the consistency of coming out there on a regular basis. That's how we build relationship. Then the, the second part of that outreach is we plant seeds of hope. So if you talk to a homeless person, They've kind of just resigned themselves. This is the best it'll ever be. And so I don't want them to believe that's the best it'll ever be. So I'm going to plant seeds of hope. I'm going to talk about future with them from day one of meeting them. And I'm going to tell them, you know, hey, if you've had a rough life, what if, and say it's a 50-year-old man I'm talking to, 
What if you went out there and talked to that 25-year-old guy that I cannot get through, but you tell him you're off the street? You can make it make a difference that time that you spent in the yucky part of your life. And so I'll plant those seeds of hope. And then what we do is when they're ready, we are ready to help them find the resources. And so we will put together a plan and we will unpack that plan with them. And what are the barriers that keep making you fall back into homelessness or keep you homeless? Then let's try to figure out a plan and use a coaching model, right? Coach the client into figuring out, well, what is your problem? Well, I really have a problem with heroin, right? And that was our client yesterday. We have a problem with heroin. And so, okay, so how do you fix that? Well, I can't get sober because I've got a detox. All right. So detox, let's write that down. You know, so from detox, you know, 10 days of detox, is that going to fix your problem? Is that going to teach you how to live without heroin? No. <laughs> okay. So then we need a rehab program. And so just kind of unpack what that is. And in mental health, it can be physical health problems. It can be anger issues, whatever is keeping them stuck. And we'll put a plan together. And then we assign an advocate to them to walk them through that plan. And we call that our client transition piece. And then we have housing programs that we can offer them through the Homeless Coalition. And then we also have what we're building is our success community. And that's the ones that are housed and stable and doing well. And so that's kind of what we do. But that's messy behind the scenes work. You know, if you see somebody at a soup kitchen handing out meals, you can see that line. You can see the good they're doing. But the good that our team does that my staff is amazing about, it is in the woods, under the bridges, in the jails, in the hospitals, and in the psych hospitals. So right. anyway, that's kind of overview of what we do. Yeah. No, that's just one thing that stuck out to me when we met with you at your offices was that it really is, it's building and rehabilitating their life. It's not just, again, not knocking, giving them something for free because, you know, gosh, they've gone through so much that they deserve it. That's fine. Give them a free meal. Great. But it's just truly teaching them. Like you said, one thing that stuck out to me was we're going to give you a bus pass if you need a bus pass. You know, we're going to spruce you up and give you a car ride to a job interview or find you some low income housing or, you know, whatever you can do to kind of piece that together. So I really enjoy being involved with y'all, even if it's just getting you some publicity on a podcast because you deserve it. So kind of moving into that, let's talk about the funding side of things, you know, because I know I believe when we met, you said that you do the grant writing, <laughs> Yes. you know, and you weren't a grant writer. You kind of just learned how to do that. So surely y'all aren't just bringing in so much cash that you don't need anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any nonprofits ever said that. Like, no, we have so much, we're good. So I know we need to support you with money. And, and what are y'all's financial goals and what are y'all moving toward? Sure, sure. So, you know, interesting since we just, we're not through the pandemic, but we're, <laughs> you know, adjusted tail to end, a pandemic. Right. Yeah, maybe hopefully the tail end of it. You know, very interesting. And as you say on the beginning of your podcast, you know, 50% of businesses fail within five years. And so we're at year six. So Perfect. <laughs> so excited about that. When we made it past five, I'm like, we're still alive. And then we have a pandemic. And then, you know, but it was so amazing what the community did during the pandemic. Commissioner Cagle's office supported us financially. They made sure that we had resources. So when everything was shut down, people didn't have a lot of extra money to give around. And so he made sure we got a pallet of bread. Have you ever seen a pallet of bread? I have not. How big do you think a pallet of bread is? I just imagine the bottled water, mm -hmm. you know, sticking up like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did is we brought a Highlander to go pick up a pallet of bread. Oh, a pallet of bread is over seven foot tall. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. do believe that. <laughs> in two stacks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so we quickly grabbed the trailer in the truck and we went and picked it up. But he got us bread from HEB. We had right. chips from Frito-Lay. 
We had water and hand sanitizer. I mean, the commissioner's office here in Precinct 4, they were amazing at helping us through that crunch. Kent Klingerman, I don't know if you deal with him. I love him to death. Yeah, awesome dude. Yeah, so great, great people over there. And they've been a huge supporter and even honored us in commissioner's court. And so all of that to say that we had these people that were advocates for us during that time. And so we financially did really well during COVID. I mean, it's crazy to say. I never dreamed that that would have been the case, but we were deemed essential. And since we were deemed essential, we took one day off for them to figure out what everybody was going to do and get the orders from the judge and see what we could do and went right back to work. Well, because we did that, the Homeless Coalition had some funding. We had some funding from the state of Texas. We had some CARES grants. And so anyway, all of that funding carried us through and we grew, we more than doubled our staff through COVID. Now, some of that is winding down. (laughs) And so now we either have to let go of some staff or we've got to replace that income. And so we are supported by some churches in the area. Champion Forest Baptist Church is a huge supporter and financial supporter of us. And so is Cypher Christian Church. And so what we do for those churches is when a homeless person comes in, then we have them call us. And we literally will go to Champion Forest Baptist and we will do an intake with that homeless person right there at the church. So we take that burden off the church because the church hates to just give them something and say, well, you know, we don't know what to do, or here's a list of resources, go figure it out. So what we do is we'll come in and we'll help come alongside the church and help them figure out how to help them. So we get some support from churches. We have some individual donors. You know, there were some people, some people in my life, my daddy, (laughs) he was our first large funder. And then, you know, now we've got some other people. And so we have a few businesses that support us. And so we're always in need of that. Unfortunately, I I would dream of the day that I could say we're good (laughs) because it's a never ending cycle. And so, you know, we just want to come up with some ways like to help the churches because we know a lot of homeless people will go to the church seeking refuge. And so we want to give the church some options so that they can actually give these people some real sustainable help instead of just a bag of food or something. Right. Well, and then, you know, too, you say, I dream of the day that I can say we're good, but I feel like the day that you're good is probably the day you're going to come up with another venture for Hope Haven to run into to say, well, now we can also offer this. So what are your future plans? Do you have any type of growth in mind? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So right now we are just getting ready to stand up a program we call Back to Work. And so doing this work in about 12 years, 11 and a half, 12 years in Houston, we've identified a few gaps, right? There's some places that we need help with service. And one of those is a job. And so we go with the Workforce Commission. We work with Work Faith Connection, another nonprofit. But there's some people that we can't just put them out in the workplace, right? If they've been homeless for a long period of time, maybe had some jail incarceration time, you're going to put them on a job and they're going to go to work and they're going to get mad at the boss because the boss told them to do something they don't want to do. And they're going to F-bomb the boss and they're going to get stuck and they're going to get fired. (laughs) So what I need to do is we need to find a program where when they make that mistake (laughs) to the boss, that we can go sit them down, teach them that's not what you do, come back and you don't lose your job over it. So we've put together a program where they will go out into the streets and they will clean up business parking lots. They will clean up the streets. They will clean up the sidewalks. One of the things we just moved into a new office and we noticed that a lot of the office buildings around had this one office or two offices that was just a ton of old furniture. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen that. And so we're offering to go in there, clean out that old furniture. We'll sell it. We'll split the profits with you and do things like that so that we can get a group of men and women back to work in a safe, controlled environment. 
So we're standing that one up right now and we're looking for partners in the community that want their parking lot cleaned. (laughs) And we pay us to clean the parking lot. It keeps these guys working. We will have a supervisor on site that's not one of the guys in the program, one of our staff members, Shane, will be running that program. And so anyway, we're just standing that one up right now. So future program is we want to open a transformation station. So we want to open a transitional living center where we can take all the resources that we have and all our partners, bring them under one roof and give these people a place where they can do the transitional work. They can get the counseling they need, the life skills they need and turn their lives around. So we're missing that piece here in Houston, this transitional living, especially for families. Gotcha. So what define transitional living to me? Is that like an apartment complex basically of all of your people? Yeah. So the transitional living that we have pictured is a place where they can live. It could be an apartment complex. It could be even a studio hotel. It could be tiny houses. There's so many different models they have out there that work. But one of these models where we can give them a safe place to house, low income, so the low cost housing, so they will be earning an income, but we will be teaching them all those skills that somewhere in their life they didn't learn or unlearned (laughs) and so that we can keep them safe and controlled. But also if they're families and we keep the husband and wife together, then we've got an opportunity to reach that child and teach that child things that maybe mom and dad are not equipped to. And then you begin to break that cycle of poverty and break that cycle of homelessness or addiction or, you know, just mentally uncontrolled lifestyles. Understood. No, it sounds like a great program. When you're looking for partners, I know you you said you have that going on where they can clean the parking lots and those kinds of things. Are you looking for employer partners as well that could be more patient with someone that's recovering and basically just employ them like normal, but just understand that things are probably going to happen that you'll have to deal with? Well, so the program, the way the program is going to work, the back to work program is they will work for us for 90 days. So they will have to work for 90 days. That means they're going to have to get up for work. They're going to have to pass the drug test or <laughs> alcohol test, right? They, they've got to be sober. And we're going to teach them that get up and work five days a week, nine to five, Monday through Friday. We're going to teach them that order and that, what do you do, the habit of going to work and earning a living which also brings out some self-esteem, right? When you begin to earn your own money, you begin to feel better about yourself and build your self-confidence. At that 90-day, or as we're getting close to that 90-day mark, that's where we'll need some people to want to employ them, or the Workforce Commission will help us get them some skills. We've got things like forklift operator classes. If they've got a good driving record, we need CDL drivers, HVAC workers, and plumbers, and all of those skills and trades. So if they do that 90 days then we've got some opportunity to get them some of those skills. Then when they finish, we're going to need those partners again to help them get the jobs and get their first job with maybe, you know, a small work history or a big, huge lapse in work history or things like that. That's such a rough part for people. I've been there, not necessarily totally unemployed, but just struggling to get a meaningful job. And it's like, well, we want work history and we want experience. And it's like, well, how do I get experience if no one's going to hire me? You know? So that's awesome that you would provide something like that to, again, just all go toward building them up and changing their life versus just helping them get by. Right, right. Well, and then with some of our clients, some of them are very capable of working, you know, and we can get them. So through the Homeless Coalition and through HUD, we've got some housing programs and we can get them housing. But if I've got a a guy sitting in front of me that can work and has no barrier from working, 
I don't want to just go set them up in a house that they can, or apartment that they can live in for the rest of their life free when they really need to be out there working. So that's why we need these extra programs in place so that we can really step them into it. So for me, transitional living is the step that comes like, let's say you've got an addict on the street. They go through either jail time, <laughs> right? And that's a, they have to stay sober there. It's mandated yeah. sobriety. And then we put them in a rehab where it's still mandated sobriety and it's still locked down. Well, then that next step, you need something. You don't just put them from lockdown to freedom. So transitional would be that extra step in there, usually a longer step, like a year, six months to a year program, so that they can learn to live with a little bit of freedom and then move into that next step, which is complete freedom. And so transitional is to transition them. I kind of liken it to the days that we were in college, right? So you had your time in your parents' home where you were locked down. Then you had those college years where you had a little bit of freedom, (laughs) a little chance to make some mistakes, but you're still kind of, there were people watching. Controlled, yeah. Yeah. Then you have that freedom step. And so it really is a good progression. So it's kind of that same progression that many of us that were never homeless had that opportunity to have. Right. We can relate to it. So, I mean, obviously then private donors, churches that want to get involved and donate, or businesses that want to get involved and donate, please sign a check. Come on in. Let's go. But what about somebody like me? I don't have thousands and thousands of dollars to give you, but I want to help out. So how do I help out? What's the best thing I can do? And then specifically too, you know, I think people forget on social media, sharing these types of things costs you $0 and zero cents and it makes a difference. So what can we do for you? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the social media. That's a big one. We've been talking about it in the office. If you, you know, six people will share one of our posts, then it begins to be able to grow on its own and get that organic, you know, thing where I don't have to spend money to boost a post to get the following. And so definitely follow us on social media. That's huge. What are y'all's handles on social? So we're Hope Haven HTX. And so on all of our social media, so that's everything across the board. And so just check us out there. And again, we're trying to post and we're still a small team. (laughs) So we have trouble getting a lot of posts out there, but we're really trying to document the work we do. Again, it's behind the scenes, it's in the woods. And so we will, if you follow the social media, you'll get to see some of those pictures of the woods and they found some really elaborate camps out in the woods. And so it's kind of interesting. So social media is a great thing. Businesses, we are a business just, I mean, it's a nonprofit, right? But we still have to have business services. And so we still pay for an accountant. We still pay for, you know, all those different things. So if a business wants to come in and offer some business services at a discounted rate or free even, that's a huge help. So that's always something that we can use. The other thing is, if you're a praying sort of person, then please pray for us because there's all kinds of spiritual warfare when the work that we do. And then the other thing is, if you have something in excess, like the peanut butter, baby wipes and bug spray, if you have something some reason that you end up getting in excess, you know, we have to hand out something. When we go to a new person, we don't just go empty handed. We use Bombas socks. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. The real big, thick cotton ones. Yeah. So Bombas is a company just like Bob's Shoes, but for every pair of Bombas socks you buy, they hand out a pair to a homeless person. And so we get anywhere from 1,200 to 2,000 of those socks a year. That's awesome. And so we're handing out socks all the time. Socks is something that a homeless person needs just like everybody else. I think it's something that is so underrated because for us, it's just like "Mm, socks and underwear are a necessity and we have it and we can wash it, but it's like out there, it gets messed up from the ground and you can't wash it properly and everything else. So yeah, it's like when it's cold, them toes are cold. Absolutely. (laughs) And when you're walking, I've been out there walking barefoot on all types of surfaces. I grew up in the country and it hurts sometimes. So yeah, 
Socks are important. Socks are important. (laughs) I would never say no to a free pair of socks. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, we take donations of all sorts. So we just got out of the furniture business, which was great for us because we've got a new group, another nonprofit. And so we partner with probably 45 nonprofits and government entities across the county. And so we got a new group called Finishing Touches. And so when we get move a girl in. We just moved in Kimberly Rojas, who I've been working with for a good 10 years, into her very first apartment. Finishing Touches comes in and they just asked her all of her likes and they just went in and decorated her entire That's apartment. amazing. Yes. Furnished it and decorated it. I mean, that's incredible. So anyway, so we're not in the furniture business anymore, but Finishing Touches will take furniture and that ends up in our clients' hands. So if you've got another nonprofit in mind or if you are a government entity and you're listening and want to help, then... I assume that y'all are more than willing to talk to any city or county or any rep and get some help from them as well. Absolutely. That's the bread and butter of what we do. And it was when I first got into working with the homeless some 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I noticed that each group was so siloed. Everybody was in their own little space working. And so I had always had this mentality of, well, if we work together, we're better together. And if you're good at something, I don't need to go reinvent that. Let's figure out a way to work together. So we're always looking for partnerships and, you know, businesses that want to partner and anything like that. Gotcha. So where do I take my donations to? Well, so you can look online. Our website is hhaven.org. And our address, we're over off of Tory Chase in 1960. And so you can bring them there. If it's a clothing donation, we actually, the church, I have a group of ladies at the church that for gosh, 10 years now have been meeting every Wednesday and they sort through all of the clothing donations. And if it's something that we can't use, we don't get a lot of children. So if it's something we can't use, they make sure that it gets to one of our ministry partners and that that can use the children's clothing. And so we think we just got some, what do you call it? Shower shoes. We don't need shower shoes. So we got them up there to the church and then the church will give them out to the people. And I think they're going to take them probably on a mission trip or something like that where they need those things. Amazing work. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share or throw out there before we kind of wrap things up? Well, I just want to say thank you. This has been such an honor and to get to be one of the first podcasts and get to hear your podcast know, first right? is podcast great. Podcast listener, cheated. <laughs> I like it. I respect the hustle. No, honestly, it's our pleasure to have you all here. I just hope that our listeners would just listen to this today and then think, you know, this is something I need to be a part of. And, you know, once again, like I said, if all you do is like and share every post that Hope Haven puts out, then that's going to help. But if you can donate something, whether it's financial, physical goods, food products, whatever it is, please feel free to reach out to them. And Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef Podcast.